Blessed Lord, who forgives all of our sins. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Commandment is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved You with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in Your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Lord grant you absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace, consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy.
celebrate together our Colette. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread, which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, for the blessing. Amen. Like a child. Mm hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Pray together for these young warriors for the kingdom. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on all these young people as they go down to Sunday school, Lord God, that you would fill their hearts with the knowledge and wisdom of your kingdom, Lord God, that you would fill them with courage and, and brilliance, Lord God, as they go out to fight the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Good morning. Our first reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of a town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, they looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before, is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 23. Please read responsibly at the Ashes. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. You are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's New Testament reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The word of the Lord. St. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents, 
sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and I received my sight. The gospel of the Lord.
to the fourth week of Lent. I hope you're doing well this season. I know the fourth week is like, uh, you know, they have that special spot in the marathon, which a friend of ours, Drake Mercer, is actually running a marathon today up in L.A., so prayers for him. He is absolutely insane. This is like his fifth or sixth marathon, but I know there's a point in the marathon where you hit that dip, where it's like 20 miles in, you have just enough left to go that it seems impossible, and you've done just enough to be completely exhausted. And so in the same way, welcome to the fourth week of Lent. You've done just enough to know that there's still way more to go, and you've done enough to be exhausted. So I hope today we can encourage you and bolster you, and it's just really awesome. And I know that word gets used of like shoes and other things, but I mean it in its like fullest sense, full of awe what God is doing in our midst. And I just want to thank everyone who's pressing in, who's praying, who's coming to, we've been having some worship nights, who's showing up on Sunday morning. God has just been really present with us in this season. And so I just want to invite you as we talk about this story that we're talking about, this is the same journey that we are on. This morning we're going to be talking about Jesus on his march to the cross. And the way that we talk about, uh, we've been talking about this all Lent because that's really what Lent is about. I had somebody ask me, like, I've never done Lent. What is this Lent thing about? And my answer was basically, well, it's so that all of us can try for 40 days to think about what it would mean to walk to our death. What would it mean to clear ourselves out and march headlong into torture, betrayal, and death. That's what Lent's about. But, as we always have to say, Easter is coming, right? Even Jesus, who marched to his death, did it not because he thought this will be a beautiful symbol for all the world of my love. No, 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 no. He did it for the joy that was set before him. 
which means he did it for the resurrection, right? He endured the cross. He embraced the cross, but he didn't do it for the cross. He did it for the resurrection. And so as we do Lent, let's not get too caught up in our self-flagellation about how awful we are. But let's remember that it's all because Easter is coming. Prepare yourself. Easter is coming. Amen? Okay, so we've talked in the past few weeks about Holy Week. This whole Lent, every Sunday, we've been talking about different days of Holy Week. So we covered Palm Sunday in the first week of Lent. Then we did Holy Monday where Jesus overturned the tables. Then we did Tuesday where Jesus' authority was challenged. And he challenged the authority of those other people to challenge him right back. He gave as good as he got and far better. And then we have Thursday. And everyone who's taken Mrs. Powell's kindergarten first grade class says, no, after Tuesday comes Wednesday, guys. Well, there's this interesting thing in Holy Week. And in the tradition of the church, we call it Silent Wednesday. And basically what that means is we don't have any stories of what Jesus was doing on Wednesday. And so the church has always celebrated the idea that Jesus took Wednesday to hang out with his friends in Bethany, right? That's where he's been hanging out. And then he makes these journeys into the city every day. So he's hanging out with his disciples and his friends in Bethany because he knows this is the last chance he gets before the whole drama of his crucifixion unfolds. And so like any of us, he wants to spend that time pouring into his friends, fellowshipping with them because he loves them. And sometimes we kind of look at Jesus' Holy Week march and we're like, man, he's such a soldier. He just does what he does and he goes here and he does that. It's like, no, he was also a man who wanted to spend time with his friends because he knew the challenge of his life was the next day. And so we're going to go into Monday, Thursday, but remember Silent Wednesday. Jesus was a man like all of us. So there's this drama going on on Silent Wednesday, not with Jesus, but with the leaders of Jerusalem. Because they know the very next day, Thursday, starts the Passover celebration. And they're worried, the chief priest and the scribe, the people who are the religious leaders in Jerusalem at the time, they're worried that this miracle worker, this Jesus, who rode in on Sunday to shouts of Hosanna, a kingly procession, is going to use Passover to take over Jerusalem and proclaim himself king of Israel. That's what they're worried about. And they're trying to find a way to arrest him outside of when he's in the city. Because within the city, he's surrounded by hundreds of people who are his biggest fans, right? And they're thinking, if we go and try and arrest this man who's healing the blind, raising the dead, speaking truth and words of life, then the entire people are going to revolt. That's what they're worried about, and they're going to make him king. They didn't realize Jesus absolutely was making himself king of Jerusalem during Passover and king of Israel. They didn't realize that although they had the destination correct, they had the how completely backwards. They thought he was going to cause a political revolt where his followers would raise up and install him as the new king. And instead, he waged spiritual warfare by going to the cross. And he was crowned king of the Jews on the cross. Crazy. So let's talk about how this came about. Because Let's just say none of us would do it that way, right? None of us would say, I want to be king of Israel, so I'm going to have the Roman tyrants crucify me, right? That's not how God did it in Exodus. In Exodus, Pharaoh had all the Israelites enslaved, just like 
Rome has all the Israelites under oppression here. And what did God do? God showed up and he broke them free through the Passover. And he killed the bad guys. So isn't Jesus going to do that too? Well, Jesus has been spending all of Holy Week telling people, I'm doing it differently. I'm doing it in a way that will establish my kingdom for all eternity. Yes, absolutely. God shows up and moves physically on our behalf. He heals people. He raises the dead. He moves armies. He changes the world for good. But what Jesus is doing is something more important. Because he knows that Rome is there today, but it'll be gone tomorrow. None of us, none of us in this room are named Julius and Augustus and all of the pharaohs, Nero, right? None of us are named after the pharaohs or the rulers of Rome because Rome has come and gone. We're named names like John. We're named names like Matthew. We're named names that are from the kingdom that has no end. We're named names like Jesse, as we read in our Old Testament this morning, right? That's my name in case you didn't know. Um, so there is this drama going on of, yes, Jesus is going to be crowned king, but how? And so the chief priests and the scribes are like, we have a brilliant plan. We will arrest him in secret. We will get him in trouble with either King Herod or the Romans, and we'll have him murdered. And Jesus is thinking at the same exact moment, I've got a brilliant plan. I will get arrested in secret. I will be tried by King Herod and tried by the Romans, and I will be murdered. Fantastic. Interesting. So let's keep going. How does this come about? Well, in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So if you've ever wondered why Judas was important, the point was they needed to find him when he was alone. That was it. They needed somebody to say, come here. This is where he's hanging out alone. So that they didn't have to arrest him in front of the people who they were worried might fight them if he, they got into this match publicly. So Judas is there. He's betraying Jesus. And there's spiritual overtones here of what's going on. And we'll see that as we kind of go through it. But Mark puts an interesting story right before that, that we're not going to take the time to read, but he has the woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet. And what the great line from that is the one who has been forgiven much loves much. And she's poured herself out and she broke this alabaster jar of this really expensive, like $60,000 ointment in one moment, broke it, threw it on Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't understand. She's anointing me for my burial. This has spiritual significance. And nowhere that the gospel is preached will she not be talked about. So he's rebuking them, but we're learning that story an interesting point. And this is why Mark puts it here. Judas is the one who has a problem with it. Judas is the one that says, you could have given this money from that ointment to the poor. And we're also told in the gospel that Judas managed the finances and his intent. We're even told his intent was to steal the money. You put $60,000 in the offering, I can get some money out of that. And it's a really fascinating point because don't you think if you were the one stealing money, you'd keep your mouth shut at that moment? Don't, it wasn't wise of Judas to say, hey, we could have had all that money over here where I manage it. You could have given all that to me if he's a thief. But there's a principle I want to illustrate here. In this moment, Judas is betraying himself because of what Jesus said 
elsewhere. In Matthew 12, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So imagine the scene. The woman is washing Jesus' feet, and Judas is getting uncomfortable because he realizes the tag on that jar of ointment. It says, I don't know, a famous perfume company. He's like, that's a $60,000 bottle of perfume. And out of his heart, which has been corrupted by his thieving, his mouth speaks it. What? We, what is she doing? We could have given that to the poor. She could have sold that. What, what's happening? And he betrays himself by his own words, right? And then it says, from that moment on, Judas sought to betray him. His heart had been won over by the wealth and the power that came with it. That he saw in Jesus an opportunity to ride on the coattails of greatness. Just like all of the disciples. They thought the same way the chief priests and the scribes did. We're riding to a political kingdom where we will have all the power. But for Judas, because of the the thieving aspect, because his heart had been corrupted, as soon as Jesus starts talking about being crucified and starts letting people break $60,000 bottles of ointment all over the place, he's thinking, I've got to betray this man. I've got to find a way to get my power elsewhere. And so whatever's going on, I mean, we don't know all the complexities of this story, but those are the hints we get of why one of Jesus's closest friends, one of Jesus's best Titus 12 people, betray him. So that's the setting as we launch into the Passover meal. So on Silent Wednesday, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the day that Judas ducked out to go talk to the chief priest. I mean, we don't know exactly the timing. But Jesus is hanging out with his buddies and Judas is off betraying his Lord, making a deal to turn him over. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So my only point here, right? We're getting through the drama. So I like to read the story so we see the setting. My only point here is, hey, uh, is your guest room ready for Jesus to show up today? I know it's kind of a, a, a Sunday school interpretation, let's say. You know, it's like you, I could imagine coloring the pictures and having little doors on the house and putting the furniture in in Sunday school to remember the lesson. But that is the lesson here. Somebody in Jerusalem had their guest room ready for Jesus to show up. And my question to you today is, are you preparing your hearts this Lent to eat the Passover meal with Jesus? Because today we're doing it. We're having the Eucharist, which Jesus transfigures in this very story out of the Passover meal. It's the same message as when we talked about Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. Have you prepared your heart because Jesus is coming? Have you prepared your heart? And when it was evening, he came to the room with the twelve. We're going to stop there again. And before supper, what did Jesus do? We're not told in the Mark gospel because he was trying to write a summary Um, But we know from the other Gospels that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. 
Once again, not the way I would do it. Hey, I'm in charge. Peter, you get the honor of washing my feet tonight, right? Like, come on, that's how we would organize it. Instead, Jesus is already fighting the battle of the cross. Don't you know that him washing the feet of his disciples was the same battle of going to the cross and keeping his mouth shut when they said, why don't you defend yourself? Because he was humbling his heart to serve, to remind his own self, I'm here to serve and to live it out so that we could learn from him how to lead. How do we lead this world, this crazy, evil world that we declaim? Oh man, those terrible public schools and that awful governor and that awful president and that awful this, awful that, or those awful corporations. How do we lead them out of the darkness? We serve them. At least something I've been thinking about. It's also how we lead one another. And let me tell you, the church can often be the worst type of hierarchy. That's what we learn from the Pharisees. Don't be so sure you're not in one of those hierarchies that's, I'm, I'm in charge and I get to do this and I get to do that. No, we serve one another. We serve one another. So as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, sorry, to say to him one after another, is it I? And the disciples have learned something. Because at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I guarantee you if this conversation was had, they would have said, is it him? They've learned something. They have some humility. And all of us should look at our own heart and say, is it I? We should all know that we have every possibility of being the one who does the dumb thing that hurts our Lord or that hurts the people around us. And we should constantly ask ourselves, especially in Lent, where is that place in my heart that the enemy could use to hurt those around me, to take me away from the plans of what God's doing in my life? Great question. Is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one in fact who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it was written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. There's so much there that we're not going to talk about. So I'm just going to say one thing here. There had to be a Judas. It was a part of God's plan for Jesus to be betrayed by his friends. It's written in the scriptures. He's fulfilling prophecy. As it was written, he knows he's going to be betrayed. But it didn't have to be Judas. Judas had every chance to not betray his Lord, just like all of us. So it had to be a Judas, but it didn't have to be Judas. Now, of course, there is no such thing as a true hypothetical rewriting of history. Time is what it is. It's existed since eternity. God knew what was going to happen. It was always going to be Judas, and it always will have been Judas. But man, he had the choice. He could have not done it. And that's such a tragedy. We'll see that again when we talk about the crucifixion and there's people like Pontius Pilate. There's so many people. We talked about Pharaoh against the Israelites. They had a choice and they chose to put themselves against God. And rather than saying those stupid idiots, I like to think, is it I? Am I the one who would choose to go against God? Now, then I have my days where I'm like, those stupid idiots, I'm so good. And I have to remind myself, it could be me too. All right. And as they were eating, he took bread. This is the central point, guys. 
It's like uh, if you're reading The Lord of the Rings, it's like the moment when Aragorn steps off the ship and saves the day in Pelennor, right? Like this is the high point of Jesus' story. He's instituting the Eucharist, the highest form of worship, right in this moment. Pay attention. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And you read that, and you're like, That's the high point of all scripture? They just shared a cup and bread? It's like, Yes! Well, okay, there's the resurrection, there's other places that are also high points, but this is a high point. So high, in fact, that we read it every single week in our Eucharistic prayer, right? Because what's happening here? Well, let's remember the Passover in Egypt. Let's go back, because he's celebrating something that has been celebrated for thousands of years at this point. Back in Egypt, we were there last fall through our Exodus series. We have this wonderful story where God says, You're stuck in slavery to Pharaoh. I have a plan. Kill a lamb, an unblemished lamb, eat a meal, and I will rescue you from death this night. And then Jesus is doing the same thing, and he says, I have a plan. There will be a lamb who will be slain, an unblemished lamb. It's me. Eat this meal, and I will save you from death for eternity. It's greater than Exodus. Exodus was one night, one kingdom, One transition, Jesus' sacrifice is the true Passover. He is the true lamb, and what he did saves us for eternity. And it's all about this meal right here. Come and partake. And it's deeper, right? Because in the Passover meal, there wasn't like the spirit of the angel was in the stuff. No, it's like I am the Passover meal. You're eating a lamb. You can get that at kava in a kava bowl. You know, it's Mediterranean. It's very tasty. But it's not Jesus. You're eating something that's not me. And now he's saying you can partake of me. And you are what you eat. It's true. At a very deep spiritual sense, it is true, believe it or not. Um, so let's talk about what's going on here because I'm not going to get into all of the symbolism because I heard a teaching once and it was amazing and I would never be able to replicate what he did. So if you want to read about it, go look up the the symbolism with the, La- the Eucharist and the Passover supper, because it's just amazing, all the connections. But I want to pull one thing out. This was planned from the beginning, right? We're told Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. So in this Passover supper, they had this one symbol that I'm going to pull out, where they had this stack of three unleavened bread matzah discs, right? Or matzah pieces. And there's the top one, the middle one, and the bottom one. And they had a prayer for the top one. They'd hold it up, and they'd say a prayer, and they'd set it aside. Then they'd grab the bottom one, and they'd hold it up, and they'd say a prayer, and they'd set it aside. Then they'd grab the middle one, and they'd hold it up, and in silence, they would break it and then put it into a little wrapped uh, napkin. But there wasn't a prayer with that one. But what did it mean? It meant what Jesus said. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. He did the same thing they've done every Passover for thousands of years, and then he told them what it meant. He broke the bread and told them, this is my body. It's just so beautiful to me that God had this symbolism built in, and you imagine the disciples like, that's what the broken bread meant. Because he doesn't break the other two pieces. They have the prayers that kind of explain what they are, but this one is just, what does that mean? 
And then they're wrapped in this white cloth specifically, and it's like a burial shroud. It's just so cool, right? There's more. Um, okay. In this moment, the old covenant is transfigured into the new covenant. It's still being fulfilled in the cross and the resurrection, right? It's, it's, it's a, we're in the drama. There's no separation between the Last Supper and the cross and the resurrection. It's this whole event that is taking place over these three days. And so let's not get legalistic about when the covenant happens, right? It all happens. This is it. It's happening as he's doing this. He's making the new covenant with his people. And covenants are signified by a meal, right? A shared meal. And so that's what's happening here. Let's keep moving. Uh, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. So they did their thing. They celebrated the Passover. Jesus instituted the Last Supper. Now they're going to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to them, or said to him, Even though all will fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. It just reminds you that scripture, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God right? Every one of them abandons him in the moment of trial. We're going to mention that in a second. Keep that thought in your mind. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, his best friends, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And that's where the battle was won, right? In this whole drama, Jesus had every opportunity to avoid the cross. Just like Judas had every opportunity to not betray Jesus. Judas chose one way. Jesus chose another, and he chose it right here. And why did he choose it? Let's talk a little bit about that. There's only two places in the entire scripture where that phrase is used. Abba, Father. Abba is used elsewhere. Father is used all over the place. But Abba, Father, what is he saying? Well, let me just tell you one thing, because I have to summarize, but there's more behind this. It doesn't mean daddy. When people get up and publicly say, daddy, God. Thank you for this service. I love that they are offering affection and honor to their God who is their father. But I just want to clarify that that's not really what Abba means. In fact, there is no English translation of the word Abba. But, and this isn't just a matter of semantics, but I want to make a point here. Where did Jesus' decision for the cross come from? It came from his utter trust and obedience to his father. And what Abba means is something like, Utter trust and obedience to your father. It's something like what you would say when your father gave you a task to do, you'd say, yes, Abba. And when you were scared and you needed your father to comfort you, you'd say, Abba, help me. Abba, I need you, right? It's this intimate, trusting phrase that's more than daddy. There's some intimacy there, so I get the point. 
and different than dad and different than father. And so he says, Abba, Father. It's this intimacy. So where does Jesus' decision come from? It comes from his connection to his father, period. Because he doesn't raise himself from the dead. The father does. So he's going and he's dying, like literally dead. Can't do a thing. And he has to trust his father. There is no greater trust than that, let me tell you. And so it comes out of that Abba, Father relationship. It's all contained in that word, that trust and that intimacy. And so if you think you're going to go out in the world and conquer nations without the trust and the intimacy of your relationship with God, the Father in your life, you're just wrong. And that's what God's been doing on these fire nights. I'm telling you, we had these worship nights and people are coming up and they're encountering the Father heart of God. And they're, it's changing them. Now, if you don't go to the fire night, does that mean you can't get it? No, you can get it today. It's here. We had two different prophetic words today said, if you're worried that you didn't go to the fire night, guess what? God's here too. Amen? And your Abba Father wants you to know him deeply. I'll just tell you the other place that it says this in case you're wondering, like, man, Jesse's on this father thing. Well, here we go. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Furthermore, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul's making the same connection. Why do we suffer with Jesus? Why do we take on Lent? Why do we go through our life trusting God when the worst possible things in the world happen? Because we are connected with our Father and we trust Him that He will also glorify us. He will transform us and He will make us new. Okay. We got to wrap it up. So let's go to what's going on here in the end. And when Jesus came from that prayer, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Man, I just, he uses his first name, right? Like you don't see him call him Simon elsewhere. You see this moment where he's like, Simon, you let me down. My best friend let me down. And that's part of this cross process that Jesus is going through. He will be betrayed and, and left aside by everyone around him. And he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And again, he went and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. It is enough. (laughs) All right. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I think of Thanos. I'll do it myself, right? It's like, I, I don't think that that's his heart, right? His heart is for them to watch and to be uh, involved in this thing. And he has so much mercy and compassion on them. He says, it is enough. Let's go. The hour has come. He's not going to make fun of them or give them a hard time about this. They're already forgiven, right? And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That's where we're leaving the story today. Jesus is betrayed. And next week, we'll talk about what happens because it doesn't get better, let me tell you. (laughs) Next week, we're going down, 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 and we're walking with Jesus to the cross. Amen?
Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken to the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as people born again into the kingdom of God, let us turn to our God for the needs of the whole world. I might be reading the wrong one. Let me read the one on the screens here. Brothers and sisters, as we continue our Lenten journey, let us offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice by praying for the needs of the whole world. For the patriarch and all bishops, as successors of the apostles, that they will be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the persecuted church and for the conversion of those who oppress her. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the government leaders, that they will work tirelessly for that justice, which is the foundation for real peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For godly leadership to be raised up in the church, and in society that will mobilize and equip God's people for the battles ahead. Lord, in your mercy, for future generations, that there will be an increase in vocations to the priesthood, diaconate, and all other Christian ministries. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For those who have lost loved ones, that they will be comforted by the promises of Christ. Lord, in your mercy, For the conversion of Islam and other world religions and philosophies that are in opposition to the word of truth. Lord, in your mercy. Hear a heart to respond to the leading of your Holy Spirit. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn, greet your neighbor with the peace of God.
week, uh, other side of the country for our uh, Patriarchs Council meetings, and we were with bishops uh, in the CEC from all over the world. That was exciting to see our dear friends and hear the reports of what God's doing, and he's really, really on the move. Uh, again, the report indicated so strongly that the CEC is growing much faster, much larger in every other part of the world. <laughs> But uh, we still, because we're America, uh, are, are the foundation and, and what holds up the ability to expand the gospel to the far corners of the world. But uh, we're with bishops uh, from everywhere but Africa. The African bishops weren't able to make it this time, and it's, uh, they need they need a hand up. Hey, whenever you. Think to pray for the CEC. Pray for our African bishops who struggle. It's a, it's a completely different experience. I've had the privilege of traveling just about every other place that we have a CEC presence in the world, as well as in Africa. And there's nothing, nothing that compares to the uh, lack and the poverty and the darkness and, and the spiritual oppression that's in that continent. It's just it's an amazing thing. So keep them in your prayers, and I report to you that everywhere we're on the move, and God is excited, and he's using us and our church. And so I'm so proud of every bishop and priest and parishioner serving in the entire world. Amen. Um, all right, well, from a satellite view, we're going to zoom down to St. Clemente. Amen. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, they handed me this today. I don't know if, if your schedule ever uh, gives you anxiety. <laughs> um, if you can see it, it's, it's full, it's handwritten on, there's a lot going on, um, and, which is great, uh, but sometimes can, can be daunting. And so, like, even in our house, we're trying to follow, like, Okay, wait, why are we doing this? And then trusting God for how can, how can we do it? So I, I'm going to give you some uh, highlights, although you've probably seen a few up behind us. Here's one really good one for those of you who are uh, probably planning all this stuff out and figuring out how you can get there. Uh, on May 18th through the 20th, there's going to be a ladies' retreat. And they would like you to sign up by April 9th. And I think we'll have some slides for that soon. But uh, put that in the back of your mind, ladies. There's a ladies' retreat coming up. Um, a few other things. Uh, we've got an Easter egg hunt for the Sunday school. And this has become a tradition here. Um, you want to start bringing these Easter eggs in. Uh, you can talk to Marie Madison about them. Uh, I think there's some other ladies in the Sunday school you can talk to and get those Easter eggs in. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of other things, but there's one more fire night uh, coming up also. And, uh, you know, if you want to come to that, it, you'll be blessed. Amen. You, you know, you might get a prophetic word, and, you know, even crazier, you might give one. So do, do look at these different uh, things on our, on our schedule here and see if you can fit them in, see what your family's supposed to do, what you're supposed to commit to. And I just pray that you'd have a great run up to Easter and Holy Week. Amen.
As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord that's made ready for those who love him, but those who want to love him more. Come, you who have much faith, you who have little, you who've been here often and you who haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow and you who failed, come, because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those he want him should meet him here at the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you've given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts that freed from disordered affections they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with the angels and the saints we praise you as without end we acclaim. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was in, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which he said for you, you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. 
May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig and with all the clergy. Remember those who are sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed and become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage when we pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving.
today and uh, there's one word in particular that's been ringing is uh, prodigals coming home and today I talked about uh, the father heart of God that led Jesus to obey to his ministry all the way unto the cross and then through to his resurrection so if any of you feel like maybe you've been a prodigal or you just need a sign of the father's love for you you need a refill we are going to spend 
a few minutes here worshiping and praying for people. So if I could have Father Powell, Thomas, a couple people come up here. And um, if you want to be prayed for today, then come on up as we uh, continue with some worship.
graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and sickness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen.